Welcome back. You're listening to Faith FM. I'm going to hit you on the clue for this weirdly obscure quiz. Have you figured it out yet, Lyle? Oh, I know. It's one of two things. Yeah. Oh, maybe I'll uh, maybe I'll take a stab, stab at it. Stab and at I'm it. Stab While at he's sta- yeah, you got it right. I can see you okay, right. Okay, yeah. Okay, so Lyle has it right. Ah, uh, so only one clue. One clue. I can give you a really easy clue for this one. And please don't. Because you're probably going to give one of the clues that are further down. Don't say but anything. you said they're all obscure. No, no, I, I didn't say that. I said they're all obscure down until the last one. The last one's not obscure. So what am I? Paul had one of these in his flesh, which he asked the Lord to remove. Mm, if you know what that is, give us yeah, a call that one now. Gives it away, exactly. 1-800-FAITH-FM, 1-800-324-843. And we are, the question wow. is, the question is, no, was no, it a real psh- one or was it a symbolic one? Just turn off his microphone again. We're going to turn off his microphone again, Lyle. Stop talking about it. We're going to continue with the, We're going to continue with... <laughs> turn his microphone back off again. All right, so now I have the switch in front of me, out of reach of Mon, where I can keep it for myself. Lyle, we have can, to get back to this cliffhanger. This, we this left is cool. out. This is we cool. Left I like this. I can, turn, I can turn your microphone oh, off please. now. I have, I have power. <laughs> <laughs> You're tripping. You're tripping on your power. Power tripping psychopath over yeah, there. Gonna give away the absolutely. quiz again. You 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 have like the worst track. You give away you either give away the answer <laughs> or you give away extra clues. <laughs> so much fun. We had a cliffhanger Lyle, that we need to get back to. We did. We yes, did. Yes, yes. You are we were reading in uh, Acts chapter twenty one. Uh Paul was in the midst of a giant uh, riot, there was a murderous uh, mob mentality going on. And uh, and the police, the local police there, they had to rescue him essentially, even though they did arrest him. Mm-hmm. They had to crowd surf him away from the riot. And, uh, and then, Put up a shield wall. Uh-huh. And of all things, he asked to address the crowd, which is just craziness. So join us now. We're going to you con- would think that would be a yeah. suicidal move. You would think, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, but actually the crowd plunges us into a deep silence. So, yeah. Okay, so, 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 um, the the commander, just to fill in the story, uh-huh. the commander of the garrison thought that he was an Egyptian rebel. Yeah, he thought he was like the leader of the assassins, like some sort of yeah. rebel group that runs around. And so he thought he had a pretty people. cool um, capture yeah, here. But yeah, yeah. Then he realizes, no, this guy speaks Greek. Ooh, this is different. And then Paul's like, yeah, I'm Paul of Tarsus. You know, I'm a Roman citizen, et cetera, et cetera. Mm-hmm. And so he, he then offers him, him the respect that is due to a Roman citizen. Uh, and Paul asks... For opportunity to speak, so Paul's standing on top of the steps of this uh, massive fortress at the uh, at the at the end of the temple complex. There is a mad crowd below that mm-hmm. were literally about to tear him limb from limb. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. He's pretty badly beaten. He is. He asks to speak, and everyone just suddenly goes quiet. I feel like that's supernatural. Like everyone goes quiet after they've been like raging the way they have been. I wish I'd been there. And then he addresses them in their own language of Aramaic. Okay. That would have really like. Yeah, yep. Yep. Mm-hmm. He's yeah. catching their attention now. All right. Read on for us, mine. Let's find out what happens when Paul speaks to the crowd. Chapter 22, verse 1. Brothers and esteemed fathers, Paul said, listen that to was me. Polite. That's very, very polite. Very nice to talk to like that to people who have just been beating you up. Mm. Listen to me as I offer my defense. When they heard him speaking in their own language, the silence was even greater. 
Then Paul said, I am a Jew, born in Tarsus, a city in Sicilia, and I was brought up and educated here in Jerusalem under Gamaliel. As his student, I was careful. Uh, name dropping there? Yeah, definitely. He's, he, very famous Pharisee. Very famous Pharisee, yep. And uh, probably one of the most, probably the most brilliant lawyer of that era. Uh-huh, yeah. Probably Jesuit. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> As his student, I was carefully trained in our Jewish laws and customs. I became very zealous to honor God in everything I did, just like all of you today. And I persecuted the followers of the way, hounding some to death, arresting both men and women and throwing them in prison. The high priest and the whole council of elders can testify this is so. For I received letters from them to our Jewish brothers in Damascus, authorizing me to bring the followers of the way from there to Jerusalem in chains to okay. be punished. So it's been a fair while yeah, since a while. these events happened. Mm-hmm. But he's referencing them all you know, now. So let's say 20, 30 years down the track. There's a lot of people that would be, uh, say, your age who would be, you know, who wouldn't really remember these events. Yes, right, yeah. But there's a lot of people my age that would have a very, very clear recollection mm-hmm, of mm-hmm. exactly what happened and exactly who Paul is. Yeah, yeah. All right. As I was on the road approaching Damascus about noon, a very bright light from heaven suddenly shone down around me. I fell to the ground and heard a voice saying to me, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Who are you, Lord? I asked. And the voice replied, I am Jesus the Nazarene, the one you are persecuting. The people with me saw the light, but didn't understand the voice speaking to me. I asked, what should I do, Lord? And the Lord told me, get up and go into Damascus and there you'll be told everything you are to do. I was blinded by the intense light and had to be led by the hand to Damascus by my companions. A man named Ananias lived there. He was a godly man, deeply devoted to the law and well regarded by all the Jews of Damascus. He came and stood beside me and said, Brother Saul, regain your sight. And at that very moment, I could see him. Then he told me, the God of our ancestors has chosen you to know his will and to see the righteous one and hear him speak. For you are to be his witness, telling everyone what you have seen and heard. What are you waiting for? Get up and be baptized. Have your sins washed away by calling on the name of the Lord. After I returned to Jerusalem, I was praying in the temple and fell into a trance. I saw a vision of Jesus saying to me, Hurry, leave Jerusalem, for the people here won't accept your testimony about me. But Lord, I argued, they certainly know that in every synagogue I was... I imprisoned and beat those who believed in you, and I was in complete agreement with your witness Stephen uh, when your witness Stephen was killed. I stood by and kept the coats they took when they stoned him. But the Lord said to me, "Go, for I will send you far away to the Gentiles." Okay, let's stop there for a Ooh. moment. Okay, why do you think that Paul has chosen to share his testimony? I mean, he's standing here on the steps. He has an opportunity to do a gospel presentation. There are a lot of different approaches that he could take when he does a gospel presentation in the book of Galatians or the book of Mm -hmm. Romans. He takes a very different approach than what he does here. He could have taken an apologetic approach. He could have talked about, you know, the evidence that there was for Jesus Christ and the miracles that he had done and uh, the evidence that there was for the resurrection of why we should follow Christ. He could have talked about, you know, the sacrifice of Jesus and how it fulfilled all of the symbols of the sanctuary service and the sacrifice of the lamb and so forth. Mm -hmm. He could have talked about Jesus' death on Calvary and given the history of that particular event and done what he'd done in Corinth where he determined to preach Christ and him crucified and that alone. And yet he doesn't do any of those things. He's still obviously preaching about Jesus and his crucifixion, no question. But why do you think he's sharing his testimony this time? 
Why do you think he chose this particular gospel presentation? I think he's offering it as a way of explanation, isn't he? I think so. Like, you know, this is my track record. This is who I am. <coughs> you know, explaining himself and saying what he was doing. Yes, and, and what, particularly because he's in Jerusalem, mm-hmm. you've got this situation where there are those, you know, who would be my age who would remember very, very clearly who he was and what he, what he was doing and what it was that was taking place at that particular time and would have you know good memory of those events, he begins by talking about how zealous he was against yeah. the cause of Christ. Mm-hmm. And really it was the level of his zeal against Christ that is the most powerful argument here. That's true. Because how do you get somebody who is so vehement... In one direction to swing around. ...and changes mm-hmm. in the space of three minutes, thereabouts? You know, yeah. something dramatic yeah. something, must have taken place. Something You've supernatural. Got, you know, it comes back to the rule of cause and effect. Yeah. Where there is an effect, there is a cause. It's as simple as that. This is a, this is a, a rule of the universe that we all know and understand. Cause and effect. Where there is an effect, there is a cause. Here the effect is a dramatic change 180 degrees. If you have a change that is that dramatic... There has to go along with that an equal and um, commensurate cause for that to take place. And so you've got to look through. And so Paul's like, okay, you all know. This is the story. I'm just sharing with you. I made a 180 degree turn in a moment, in the space of three minutes. I turned around and went completely the opposite direction. And you can't go more than completely the opposite direction from murdering Christians to being a Christian. You know, it's not like he was just like, yeah, you know, I'm not so fond of Christians and then the next day he decides to become a Christian. No, no, no. He was murdering Christians. He was. And then he decides to become a Christian. He's like, okay, that is a dramatic effect. Let me now now tell you what it was, what the cause of that was, because the cause of that effect was just as dramatic as the effect was. And so he shares his testimony of what Jesus did. You're listening to Faith FM, positively different radio. So really he's, he's dealing with the, the principle of cause and effect as a very powerful argument. The other thing that um, in sharing this, you know, he could, he could argue, have a theological argument over the crucifixion. Let's say, for instance, he, he decided to have a theological discussion on the, on the crucifixion and talk about um, you know, how the, the sacrifice of the lamb was a symbol of the sacrifice of Jesus. The people there could have started an argument with him. Like, oh, yes, but from a theological perspective, we see that differently. We see that the sacrifice of the lamb symbolizes this and this and this and this. And Paul could say, well, the Bible says this, and they could say, well, the Bible says that. And we've all seen those kinds of discussions take place, and they go nowhere. He doesn't go down that path. He shares his testimony because when he shares his testimony of what Jesus did on the Damascus Road, what's somebody going to say about that? What are you going to do? Are you going to sit there and say, nah, nah, it didn't really happen? Yeah, you can't argue with someone's testimony. That's why testimonies are so powerful. Yeah. Uh, and, and you can't say, well, you know, Jesus doesn't exist. Jesus is not alive because how are you going to prove that? That's right. You know, if it happened to Paul, how do you prove that it didn't happen to Paul? You know, you it's, it's, it's like yeah. it's like all those people that are atheists. Like, yes, we're atheists. It's like, okay, so you don't believe in the existence of God? No, I don't believe in the existence of God. Uh, do you know everything there is in the universe to know? Not a chance. No. Let's be 
extremely generous. And let's say that you own, you know 2% of the knowledge that there is in the universe to know. That's extremely generous. <laughs> yeah. Who's to say that in that other 98% of knowledge, there isn't the reality of Jesus Christ, there isn't the reality mm, of God? Yeah, exactly. You know? Who's to say that uh, that that God doesn't exist, and uh, or you, you know that uh, in all of that area of knowledge and experience, just because you haven't experienced it, doesn't mean it doesn't exist. Mm-hmm. Then you look out at the world and you find, okay, there are a lot of people in the world who have experienced it, and if they have experienced it, then maybe there is something that you don't know, you know, because you've already admitted. You know only a very small percentage of what there is to know. It'd be too, pretty dumb of me to say it couldn't possibly exist even in the knowledge that I, of stuff I don't know. Yeah. 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 And so then most people will say, okay, all right, I'm not an atheist in that I don't believe in the existence of God, but I certainly haven't met God. I don't know about God. Mm-hmm. Well, that means that you're an agnostic. True. Not an atheist. Yeah. There are very, very few atheists. An atheist believes you know, that God doesn't exist. An agnostic is somebody who doesn't know. Mm-hmm. So then the question is, are you a uh, semi-agnostic or a hyper-agnostic? Okay. A hyper-agnostic says, I don't know if God exists and it's impossible to find out. Oh, I see. A semi-agnostic says, I don't know if God exists and I don't know whether I can find out. I see. Okay. So which one are you going to take? Well, uh, a, uh, the, only, the only reasonable position you can take at that particular point is semi-agnostic because to say that it's impossible to find out is once again going into that area of I know everything that there is to know in the universe. Is it more accurate? And so if you're a semi-agnostic, then that's just another word for a seeker. Amen. Is it, is it more accurate to say um, atheists is not so much that uh, I don't believe in God as so much as I don't want to believe in God? I think so. Yeah. 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 I think I think that is the case with a lot of um, you know, particularly because they've had such a bad view of God that has been peddled to them yeah. by Christianity mm-hmm, and there's mm-hmm. like it's been shoved by down my throat. I don't want to believe in it. Uh, the picture of God that I've been given is a horrific, you mm-hmm. know, tyrant who lives out there somewhere in the universe and, you know, decides who's gonna be saved and decides who's gonna be lost and you know, just is arbitrary Tortures about the whole thing. For eternity and, yeah, yeah, burns people in hell for eternity, all this kind of stuff. None of which is true. No. Mm-hmm. When it comes to that kind of God, yeah, I'm an atheist. Yeah, absolutely. But I don't Same. believe in that Same. kind of God. Yeah. Totally an atheist. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, this is what I find I'm, I have a lot in common with a lot of atheists is that uh, I, as a pastor, am just as much an atheist. I'm an atheist for the same reasons that they are. Mm-hmm. Because when they describe the God they don't believe in, don't I don't believe, I don't believe in either. Yeah, no way. This is not the God that you find in the Bible. Whichever, wherever they got that image of that God, that is definitely not the God of the Bible and it's not one that I believe in either. Yeah. So we need to become students of the word and not students of church tradition because when we become students of church tradition rather than students of the word, we end up with false teachings like eternal hellfire. Now, we are a little bit off track, so let's go back we to... We are way off track. Way off track. So Paul we were is, talking about Paul's testimony and the fact just that up his testimony, yep. you can't argue against the testimony That's because right. how are you going to say that didn't really happen? Mm-hmm. when every person's experience is different. And who's to say it didn't happen? That's right. It didn't happen to you, but who's to say it didn't happen? Well, even though he gives a testimony that you can't be arguing against, the crowd still loses them. Loses it. 
They were pretty quiet up until this they point. They were pretty quiet and then they went he's, straight back he's to He's sharing a story crazy. here that they're probably reasonably familiar with. Mm-hmm. Why do they go straight back to being in riot again? Well, let me tell you. Okay, well, well, what, were the, what was the last sentence you just read? I'm right about there? to reread it again. Okay. <laughs> but the Lord said to me, go for I will send you far away to the Gentiles. Okay, so he's just come back mm-hmm. from Asia. That's right. He's come back from far away. And he's been ministering to the Gentiles. He says those words. What is the reaction? The crowd listened until Paul said that word, the G word. The G word comes out. Then they all began to shout, away with such a fellow. He isn't fit to live. They yelled, threw off their coats and tossed handfuls of dust in the air. I love this. I love this (laughs) image right here. You got these guys there. They're scooping up handfuls of dirt and throwing it in the air. Yeah, but first they're going to take off their clothes. This is is the solution right here. We're going to throw dirt in the air. That'll get rid of the guy. We'll take off our coats so we get the dirt everywhere and then we'll chuck the dirt around. <laughs> so, so silly. This is this is grown adult men having acting a tantrum. Like, acting like children. Yeah, having a tanty. And it's no wonder that the governor is uh, you know, we're gonna hear what this guy's got to say. We're not gonna I'm not gonna take yeah. your word for it's it just because you're running around like a bunch of three year olds. Yeah, yeah. Seriously? Yeah. Is do you remember are they tossing dust because they couldn't find any rocks for which to stone him? Is that maybe why they were tossing dust? They're looking, around, they're looking around Who for knows? something to throw. It's either throwing each other or throwing dirt because it's the only two options. <laughs> Is that what <laughs> Who they knows? Got to? I tend to, in, in the context, I tend to read it that that was just a uh, a way of demonstrating. Okay, okay. So you know how some people these days, if they go to a demonstration, they'll hold a placard to show how serious they are or they'll paint their face to show how serious they are. Um, or they'll chant to show how serious they are. Look, I Maybe to- back in the day, the way that you showed that you were really serious about something is when you start throwing dirt. Mm, that's, I, I went to a protest once and I threw bubbles. <laughs> yeah, don't quite see the correlation between that and dirt. Not yeah, the same category. But do you know what? Dirt and bubbles, both pretty ridiculous, to be honest. Both <laughs> <Yeah>. ineffective. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, let's, let's have a look what happens bubbles, next. Bubbles, bubbles, bubbles. <laughs> the commander brought Paul inside and ordered him lashed with whips to make him confess his crime. He wanted to find out why the crowd had become so furious. When they tied Paul down to lash him, Paul said to the oh, officer yes, standing yes, yes, there. Yes, 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 yes. I, for, I forgot this because he, had, he hadn't actually at this point revealed his citizenship. Now yeah, he does. He waited on that one. He held the R card, the Rome mm-hmm. card. Yeah, his, his little ace card. Mm-hmm. <laughs> when they tied Paul down to lash him, Paul said to the officer standing there, is it legal for you to whip a Roman citizen who hasn't even been tried? When the officer heard this, he went to his commander and said, what are you doing? This man is a Roman citizen. So the commander went over and asked Paul, tell me, are you a Roman citizen? Yes, I certainly am, Paul replied. I am too, the commander muttered, and it cost me plenty. Paul answered, but I am a citizen by birth. There you go. This is this is interesting because there were different ways that you could become a Roman citizen. Mm-hmm. And uh, we were just um, looking at a news we story. We were just discussing this. We were looking at a news story coming out of Malta. Mm-hmm. When 2014, Malta changed their legislation so that you can now buy a Maltese passport. I would absolutely do it if I you could can become it. A, you, can, you can become a citizen of Malta. You can actually buy a Maltese passport. And this was a way of, uh, of raising money. And, of course, Malta, what is Malta? Is Malta Europe? Is it Africa? Or is it the Middle East? 
Yeah, it's, it's you know, a and, mash. and who's who is who is the enemy of Malta? Nobody has nobody's no an enemy of Malta. No one's got beef Malta. with Malta. No, yeah. no one's got a beef. People with Malta. had beef in the past, but the Maltese are so brave and like hardcore. They like smashed. Them. <laughs> they did. They absolutely You don't want to take did. on the Maltese. Do not ever take on Malta. Um, anyway, so um, and they've got, you know, there's like 128 countries that you can get into visa free. Yeah, on a Maltese you know, it's, passport. It's, it's just just mm-hmm. an awesome passport to have. Yeah, cool. So how much, Lyle? Um, and so it's become very lucrative for the Maltese government. They've sold. Uh, they've made, and since 2014, I think they've made 880 million dollars by selling passports. Yeah, selling I, citizenships. I really want one. Yep, it'll cost you 1.8 million dollars thereabouts to buy one. <laughs> Oh man! <laughs> Any <laughs> yeah. single millionaires out there looking for a wife? <laughs> but this is the, the, the Roman the uh, the Roman governor here. He had had to do this himself. Yeah, he had to buy his citizenship. I wonder if it was about equivalent to one point eight million. I don't know.
That was the Isaacs with Paul's ministry. How appropriate that is for today's um, subject, talking about Paul. Indeed, indeed it is. Hey, La, I got the last clue for this quiz, this crazy obscure quiz, right? Mm-hmm. So This one's going to be super easy, I know. It is. What am I? Jesus had a crown of these placed on his head by soldiers. Mm, crown of yeah. what? If you Wait, can't get Jesus that, head. if you can't get that, that's a problem. One eight hundred three two four eight four three or one eight hundred Faith FM is our number. Give us a call right now, and there is a prize coming your way. And we have a little special uh, good morning shout out to uh, Emery, who was listening for the first time this morning. Oh, Yay, there you go. new listener. Morning, Emery. Hope you like the show. Absolutely. Okay. So we're back into uh, back into our encounter with God, our twenty million movement. So Paul has just played his ace card and reveals that he's actually a Roman citizen by birth. Mm-hmm. He didn't have to pay for it; it didn't cost him one point eight million dollars or however much uh, the commander had to pay. But he did say it cost him plenty. It kind of makes you wonder how it was that his family received citizenship. Yeah, you know, because that was you know citizenship was something that was taken very very seriously by Rome. And it was a tremendous privilege to be an actual citizen of Rome. Uh, and of course, you know, Paul, you know, plays that citizenship card on a number of occasions. There was privileges that a Roman citizen could get that you know nobody else could could get. Um, you know, and it gave you access to the empire, uh, and it gave you access to the judicial system. It gave you you know protection from all kinds of stuff. A little bit like a um, a little bit like a U.S. passport. Okay. Yeah, you know the U.S. passport will get into trouble in a lot of places because yeah, mm-hmm. lots of people love to hate the U.S. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But the U.S. will also send a uh, a battle fleet with um, aircraft carriers <laughs> come get you. to come and drag one citizen out of an obscure location if uh, if necessary. Yeah, you know, whenever a country goes belly up and and all of the expats are, are leaving, you know, Australia sends over a uh, you know what a, a Hercules C one thirty, and the and the Americans turn up with a battle fleet. <laughs> <laughs> Not going home without a war. <laughs> Get their citizens out, and so yes, it's um, it's one of those uh, it's one of those catch twenty twos because yeah, my family are um, a, a dual citizens, and, and it's like well, the Australian passport is safer to travel on, but the American passport is a good one to have if a country suddenly goes belly up. Yeah, that's true. I want I'm 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 a little bit sad that there's no history that can tell us how much it costs people back then to become a Roman citizen. Maybe there is. Maybe, maybe we just is. haven't looked it up. Maybe maybe I need to find out. Hey, if you're a historian and you want to do some research Please. for us, give us a call. Or if you know the answer. SM. Yeah, yeah, tell us. If you know the answer, what did it take to become a Roman citizen yeah, how many in the first shekels? century AD? Was it shekels they used back then? Shekels of silver or something? Yeah, maybe. Who knows? Give us a call. Let us know. 1-800-FAITH-FM. Okay, do you want me to quickly re- uh, keep reading? Yeah, so why not? Pa- Paul answers, I'm a citizen by birth. The soldiers who were about to interrogate Paul quickly withdrew when they heard he was a Roman citizen, and the commander was frightened because he had ordered him bound and whipped. You'd think they'd do their homework. You'd think that any time they're about to do anything to anybody, they'd be like, oh, let's just do a quick background check to make sure this isn't a Roman <laughs> citizen. <laughs> well, see, Rome wasn't that big of a city. Okay. You know, Babylon was three times the size of Rome. It was a very powerful and influential city, but it wasn't a big city. And so it would not have been that common to come across Roman citizens. Uh, and, and so you find you know, Paul gets himself, particularly when Paul is a Jew who has been mistaken for an Egyptian. Yeah, and there's more mistakes coming right up. Yeah. In chapter so, 23. So you know, he doesn't look like a Roman citizen. He doesn't sound like a Roman citizen. There's not that many Roman citizens in the world. There are even less Roman citizens in Palestine. 
and one's got a smile on her face. I've just read the next three verses and I'm dying laughing. So. <laughs> <laughs> so you can kind of give them a little bit of a benefit of the doubt as to why they didn't do their background checks. This would have you know, been something that might happen like, what, once every five years? Anyway, so Mon's just having a giggle here. Do you want me to keep reading? This is such a good story. Let me keep reading. The next day, the commander ordered the leading priest into session with the Jewish high council. He wanted to find out what the trouble was all about, so he released Paul to have him stand before them. Gazing intently at the high council, Paul began, Brothers, I have always lived before God with a clear conscience. Instantly, Ananias, the high priest, commanded those close to Paul to slap him on the mouth. (laughs) As you do. (laughs) But Paul said to him, God slap you, you corrupt hypocrite. What kind of judge are you you to break the the law yourself by ordering me struck like that? Those standing near Paul said to him, do you dare to insult God's high priest? I'm sorry, brothers. I didn't realize he was the high priest, Paul replied. Okay, let's stop there for a moment because one of our... uh, No, I can't go there. What? Uh, Quiz clues. Relates to this story. Actually, our quiz has been answered. Oh, it has? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It came through in the break. Oh, good. All right. I can talk about it then. Yes, yes. Jasmine has answered correctly. It is indeed thorns. Good on you. Good work, girl. Okay, so so, so Paul, yeah, great great work, Jasmine. Um, uh, Where was I heading with this? Okay, so the Bible talks about Paul having a thorn in the flesh. Mm -hmm. And many people suspect that was poor eyesight. Okay. And that he maybe never truly recovered all of his eyesight after the Damascus Road experience. Mm-hmm. And that he prayed many times for it. And here, the high priest has commanded him slapped. And he doesn't even know it's the high priest who said that. Ah. So that's pretty poor eyesight if you can't see from one side of the room I to the other and recognize what, it was. what was going on. Okay, yeah. Cause this is, okay, we, the Bible doesn't actually say what it was. Yeah. But there's some very, very clear evidences in places that, um, that Paul had very poor eyesight. Ah, how interesting. I've always wondered what the thorn in Paul's side was, but okay, that's interesting. Yeah, he needed he needed some Coke bottles. <laughs> well, he says, I'm sorry, brothers. I didn't realize he was the high priest, Paul replied. For the scriptures say, you must not speak evil of any of your rulers. That is a hard uh, verse, I think, for many of us to swallow. <laughs> Paul realized that some of the members of the high council were Sadducees and some were Pharisees. Okay, let's stop with this. Stop, stop, stop. That's tomorrow's subject. Okay, We've got to hold okay, that one for tomorrow. Okay. Okay. This is such a good story. This is so it's such a good story and I'm leaving the country. I know. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to have to pass okay, the so baton Paul, on to Lawson and he's going to have to do a good job. I'm going to tune in. Paul, Paul starts to, uh, to, to, to play. He, he plays the game all the way through here. Mm-hmm. He, he holds on to his um, Roman citizenship card until the last minute. And then he he uh, holds on to his Pharisee card until the last minute. It's like he's he has a, a little bag full of passports. Oh, he's got a bag full of them, all right. <laughs> and he's going to bring them out one at a time. However, according to um, Historian Google. Okay, go on. Historian Google tells us that to buy Roman citizenship in those days was about 15K. Okay. $15,000. Yeah, that's still pretty exy. Particularly when you consider that they didn't have a significant middle class. Mm-hmm. So this was something that would be available to your upper middle class. Um, so somebody like you and I would probably not find that to be a worthwhile investment. Okay. You know, 15 grand is going to go a long way towards, say, a uh, deposit on a house or something or other, or buying a car, which you would probably see as being a higher priority than having Roman citizenship. Mm-hmm. However, if you wanted to advance yourself politically, um, obviously the governor here at this particular time has been able to do that successfully because of his, his position. 
then this is going to be something that is necessary, going to be necessary for you to do. Initially, in Republican Rome, this was not something that was viable. You could okay. only be born a Roman citizenship, a citizen, and it was impossible to buy that citizenship. So it's almost like getting a qualification. Like, yeah, so it yeah. wasn't until it wasn't until the empire started to expand, you know, became an empire and started to expand that they recognised the need for more citizens, and they also started to build mixed armies because under the republic they were all citizen armies that they you know that they fought under, and of course under the empire they would um, they would have soldiers from all kinds of different. Um, Backgrounds. I've got a question for you, Lyle. <clears throat> Speaking of citizenships and passports and whatnot, what do we have to do to become a citizen of heaven? You've got to have a BA. A BA? Yeah. A citizen of heaven? Mm-hmm. What? Yeah, you've got to have a BA. What's that? You've got to be born again. <laughs> Amen. Oh, okay. It requires a degree, a BA, a born again. It's simply invite Jesus into your heart, do it right now. Ask him to come into your life and take complete control and you're a citizen of heaven. This is All Sons and Daughters with You Will Remain. Oh, dude. 
Heidi, you believe in God? Yeah. Yeah, but is God for real? Mm, yeah. No, I know you believe in God, but is he actually real to you? Or do you feel that something is still missing? Sometimes. If you still have questions about God and life, then why don't you come to the Is God For Real series? Sure, where is it? It's at the Gosford Adventist Church. Begins 7pm Friday, September 7. You can get more information at isgodforreal.com.au. Sweet. Hey, Mon. Mm-hmm. Do you believe in miracles? Look, if God can change my life, I think I definitely believe in miracles. Okay, so the Hamilton Seventh-day Adventist Church is making a difference in its community. Oh, yeah, how? Well, it's worshipping together, loving together, learning together, and above all, preparing for Jesus to return together. Ooh, that sounds good. When's all this happening? Bible studies start at 10 a.m., service at 11 a.m., and guess what that's followed by? Or is it this free lunch I keep hearing about? Absolutely. Well, please join us at the Hamilton Seventh-day Adventist Church. Our address is 105 Lindsay Street, Hamilton, New South Wales. Every Saturday morning where you will be welcomed with a smile. Welcome back, guys. That was Reggie Smith and Nathan Young. 
uh, with Now Is The Day here on Faith FM. And we have come to, oh, what is it? Question of the day time. Yes, indeed. It is question of the day time because our quiz has been snapped up by uh, Jasmine. Good on you, Jasmine. Good well work done. there answering the, uh, the, pri- uh, the quiz with the answer of thorns. Okay, so question of the day, Lyle. Mm-hmm. Uh, this is part three uh, of this week. We've been doing uh, a three-part series, which has been great. Uh, we had someone ask a really big question. But the last one is, can't worship happen on any day? Shouldn't it happen every day? Why emphasize the Sabbath? This is a really great question. The interesting thing about this in the last 2,000 years of history of controversy over the Sabbath, this question has only arisen in the last, say, 50 years or so. And what has actually produced the uh, the question itself has been a changing culture in relationship to the day of worship. You see, in past years, up until uh, you know just recent decades, when people worshipped, whether it was on Saturday or Sunday, they saw that day as a day of worship. They would go to church, they would spend the afternoon with their family, they would uh, study their Bibles together, they would sing, they would, you know, just, just, they would actually have a Sabbath day of rest because the word Sabbath literally means to rest. In fact, in some churches, like the Roman Catholic Church, they had very strict laws as to what you were allowed to do and what you were not allowed to do on the Sabbath day. Of course, they were you know, in the Catholic Church. They were thinking that, of course, was Sunday. Now, in recent years, that has changed. And so today, when you have uh, Sunday keepers, Sunday keeping Christians, they don't actually keep Sunday. They go to church on Sunday, and then the rest of Sunday is just like any other day. They'll go shopping. They'll go to the football. They'll uh, watch TV. You know, whatever movie they feel like doing. They'll um, take care of the yard. They'll go back and and, and work a, 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 an afternoon shift at work or whatever it might be. And so the day is not actually seen as being a holy day. Neither is it seen as being a day of rest. It's merely a day you go to church. And so if it's just a day you go to church, well then, what difference does it make? Just go on any day. Mm-hmm. However, this is not what the Bible teaches. If we go and have a look at what the Bible says in relationship to the Sabbath, so probably the clearest passage would be Exodus 20, which is the command itself. This is you know, in the Ten Commandments. The eternal constitution of the government of God, it says, Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall work, as you shall labor and do all your work. But the seventh day of the is the Sabbath of the Lord your God. In it you shall not do any work, you, nor your son, your daughter, your manservant, your maidservant, nor your cattle, nor your stranger which is within your gates. For in six days the Lord made heaven, earth, the sea, and all that is in them, and rested the seventh day. Wherefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and hallowed it. And so what you've got God doing here is establishing a one day a week jomo. Now, you all know about JOMO, right? We've been talking about JOMO. Uh-huh. Hashtag JOMO, the joy of missing out. And so God understood that, you know, we as human beings would get ourselves too connected with the world, too stressed with the world, and we needed a circuit breaker in the middle of the week where we would actually switch off. We would become disconnected from the world. We would be able to relax, rejuvenate, recharge our batteries and head back into the week again. And this has been proven over and over and over again. You know, we have circadian rhythms that, you know, within our bodies that follow a seven-day cycle, etc. But people are far more efficient if they actually do this. They get more accomplished in their, in their actual lives. And so this is what God's intention was in relationship to the Sabbath. The Bible says in Leviticus 23 and verse 23 that the Sabbath was a holy gathering together. So this was a a time of gathering together for worship. 
And that's the example that we find Jesus following when we come down to you know uh, Luke chapter 4 and verse 16 where the Bible says it was his habit to go to church or the synagogue every Sabbath day and to study the Bible there with the others who were gathered in the synagogue. And so if you look at the biblical concept of the Sabbath, then yes, God does tell us to worship every day and we should worship every day. But there is a difference between worshipping on a day and having a day of worship. You know, you can't have Jomo every day. If you have Jomo every day, you're not going to get anything accomplished. You know, the joy of missing out, the joy of disconnecting from the world is where that, uh, is where that phrase Jomo comes from. The other thing, of course, is that when God asks us to do something, God is always specific. He's never general. God didn't come to the you know, Adam and Eve and say, you can eat any fruit of any tree in the garden. Go ahead and pick one. He chose it. And when we choose something that God hasn't chosen, it's dishonoring to God. And that's not a direction that we should be going at all. Thank you so much for answering that, Lyle. Of course, if you have a question, give us a call here. Our number is Faith FM, uh, sorry, 1-800-FAITH-FM. That's 1-800-324-843. You can even text your questions to 0491-064-669 and uh, we will answer them live on air. Stay tuned because next we are giving away movie tickets, aren't we, Lyle? Oh, we are. Absolutely. Yes. Awesome movie. If you're Especially if you're located in Western Australia or in, where is it? Queensland? Victoria. Victoria Victoria, and Western Australia. Absolutely. We're giving away tickets uh, for your states uh, coming up right after this song, which is Fernando Ortega. But uh, get your phones ready. The number is the same as the other one. It's 1-800-FAITH-FM. And uh, we'll be giving away four movie tickets to our first, four, first two callers, so two mm-hmm. each. You get to bring a plus one. Yep, to see the voice they of the died at the movies. Yes, yeah, so Tortured for Christ. It's a brilliant, inspirational film. You don't want to miss this. Worship and bow down and kneel before the Lord, our Maker. Come, let us worship and bow down and kneel before the Lord, our Maker. Come, let us worship and bow down and kneel before the
people of his pasture. He is our God. He is our God. We are the sheep of his hand. Listening to Fernando Ortega. Come let us worship here on Faith FM, and we are giving away movie tickets. Yes, now is the time to call. Whip those phones out, get those fingers course, pressing as fast as you can. Victoria and Western Australia. Yes, so if Victoria you are in Victoria, and Western, Western or you have friends who are there. Yeah, so it's Epping in Victoria and Belmont in Western Australia at the Reading Cinemas there. Uh, both places that I'm familiar with and I think I've been to both those cinema houses at one point or another. So yeah, a good good place to go. Um, nice comfy seats and stuff. But the movie is just yes. sensational. Really inspiring, life-changing uh, kind of film. It's a true story. It's one and of those you need to get your tickets now because the Sydney one was absolutely packed out. Absolutely packed out. Even the event organisers had to end up um, getting up and going outside and giving up their seats because people just, just wanted to come in. Absolutely. So it's, yeah, it's definitely a hot event at the moment. So this is The Voice of the Martyrs uh, movie that they've made uh, based on the story of Pastor uh, Wormbrandt and uh, and his time um, being tortured. And we're only going to be giving tickets away while we have them and we still have yes. some left so we are still giving them away yes. and once they're gone, they're gone. So we've got two tickets for each location so give us a call now, we'll give you both tickets. So if you are in Western Australia or in uh, Victoria on this coming Saturday night. I want Saturday to give someone night, a nice present. Yeah, if you want to give someone a present, um, uh, send them to a friend. You can their email life, them. Their life could be changed. Yeah, because they come in email format. So you can send them off to your friends and they can have them today. And uh, so if you, even if you know someone in Victoria or Western Australia who would like to go see uh, Tortured for Christ uh, by the Voice of the Miners, call us now, 1-800-FAITH-FM. It is a time. And for those of you who are in different states and you're hanging out for when your state's going to be getting tickets, just stay tuned next week. Uh, yeah. Yes, absolutely. If you're yes, we have more tickets Queensland for different states. Or something like that. Yes, Queensland, yes. Uh, what have we got? And South Australia coming Oh, up. hey, Lyle, just quickly let me say in the last five seconds, I'm going to Germany today. Just wanted to slick that in there one more time. Thanks for uh, joining us today. Stick around. We'll be, well, I won't be back, but Lyle will be back tomorrow morning after 7 o'clock news.
So shall we rise?